to another episode of Theology Doesn't Suck, where hopefully uh, theology doesn't suck. With you today is myself. My name is Josh. That's what my wife tells me. And also with me today is Marty Frederick. What is going on, Marty? Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm just chilling. I just ate some delicious lunch and... uh, yeah, just hanging out. I love lunch. Yeah. I love lunch. <laughs> In fact, a friend of mine, a friend of mine actually, she gave me this thing. She she's on my worship team here at church. Uh, she was on vacation and she found this little plaque that she gave to me, which is totally me. And it says, "My favorite exercise is a cross between a lunge and a crunch. It's called lunch." So <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's pretty good. I had I had a bowl of ramen for lunch, which I guess isn't the most healthy thing but like i i have all these really good different seasonings i put in like i don't use the ones that come with it and then i put an egg in there too so it's you know a little bit of protein oh nice but uh well you, you gotta you gotta you gotta up the game when you're having ramen i mean i feel like you need to do something else with it you know that's that's like straight slumdog millionaire having ramen but <laughs> if you can up it by adding an egg in like your own spices perhaps then you're like you're taking it out of that and putting, you know, your own spin on it is always a good idea. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it could it could serve, you know. I could I could serve it at a restaurant and people would be like, "Oh, wow, that's pretty good ramen," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, you might be able to sell it for like a dollar instead of the like the 20 cents that a package of ramen costs, you know. That's a pretty good uh profit margin. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that one to you, man. Um, oh, goodness. But yeah, I, I had a peanut butter and jelly, so I mean, I didn't oh, really do much better than you, but yeah, yeah, that's we need to we need to step up our lunch game, huh? Yes, man. Especially with the plaque like that on my desk here, yeah. my, in my office. <laughs> right, right. Well, maybe perhaps we should we should move on from lunch and uh, perhaps introduce the third person that we have uh, with us here today. Um, you know, because they they're a lot more interesting than what we had for lunch. <laughs> like <laughs> way far. a lot, like way far. superior. Yes. It's like insulting to even say that. Like, but <laughs> so. <laughs> Goodness, I'm so bad at intros. Many apologies. But with us today uh, is David E. Fitch. How's it going, David? Oh, and uh, doing well. Glad to be with you. And your guys' banter rates way high on my list of podcast banters. Oh, sweet. That's a positive <laughs> oh, thing. We'll take awesome. it. The ramen conversation. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, thanks. That was, you know, all spur of the moment. Yeah, literally <laughs> say every, every moment of banter that we do on the podcast is never planned. We never know what we're going to talk about. And it's always a little bit of fearful in me. Like the worship <laughs> the worship pastor planner in my mind is like, well, we got to talk about what we're going to yeah. say. We never do. And it always winds up being great. So. <laughs> what do you Gotta, you gotta like open space for the spirit to work, man. That's uh, exactly oh. right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's so hey, Marty. Before we begin, is that a Buffalo Bills hat you're wearing? It is not. It's a it's a Patagonia hat. So like oh, it's, okay. it just has a buffalo on it, you know. But right. I've been okay. asked that number. But I've been asked that a number of times. Yeah, because if it was, we could have gone on some real banter about the buff about the beautiful city of buffalo new york but we won't do that yeah. for, <laughs> so all, for all three people that care about that we won't do that tonight yeah that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> cool well, well since you uh bring up sports there's we have one question that we ask all of our guests that come on the show and you have to give an answer even if you don't think you have one is that okay i can do that all right so here's the question and marty has his fingers crossed big time for your answer who who is your or what is your favorite hockey team? Chicago Blackhawks, man. Yes, <laughs> all the way. 
And, yeah. and this goes this goes all the way back to when I was growing up in Canada, and my mother was from Chicago, and uh, I became a Blackhawk fan even uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, right across the river from Buffalo, New York. By, by the way, so uh, yeah, Blackhawks all the way, guys. Anything about the Blackhawks, and I will give you an accurate answer. Anything. <laughs> That's awesome. That I, I dare think, you to stump me on the Blackhawks, Marty. You would you would do better than me. See if you well, can I, give it a you, whirl. You would do much better. There's um, no way. Josh is like Josh. Here's something you don't know, David. Josh is like he's the guy that posts the memes on his Facebook account that say like <laughs> football is. I, I like football just because it's like a good. It's something to do until hockey season starts. <laughs> uh-huh. Like. He'll post things that say like football players are babies. Hockey players are the real tough ones. Like, I mean, Josh knows everything about hockey. Like he could tell you, he could tell you like who a hockey team signed yesterday. Like he could tell you a name of a guy that was signed by a hockey team yesterday, probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, we don't want to bore the listeners too much on hockey, right, but I'm a right. coach for the oh, YSA. That's awesome. I played hockey in college. So folks, I'm a hockey Fiend. Yeah. So Josh, what, what David's saying is he knows hockey better than most, if not anyone. And including and he myself. Chooses to, he chooses to cheer for the Blackhawks. <laughs> so that should be the thing your capital fan mind should take and be like, you know, maybe I ought to change my fandom. I used to tease Josh. I used to hold up a hat that, you know, the Stanley Cup champions had. And I'd say, Josh, okay. you know, this is a hat you are never going to own uh, when, when he and I worked together. In Florida. Uh, Finally, he got one, but. Yeah, Josh, remind me again where you sit and, and what fan you're of again. Yeah, so I'm in I'm in a suburb of DC, so I'm a Washington Capitals uh, fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, well they did win the cup, uh they not did. this past year. But the one before that, so congrats to you. Yeah, but we're coming you. back. We're making a comeback. Okay. Sweet. <laughs> Nothing cool. better than a podcast that talks about hockey and theology, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, that's right. solid, solid content. Solid content. <laughs> I think you're probably Marty's now new favorite guest purely <laughs> for the fact that you said you're a Blackhawks fan. He's been waiting for that. I have. <laughs> he he seems to think that I purposely only find Washington Capitals fans, but it's just not true. Um <laughs> anyway, so tell me really briefly before we get into uh, the Church of Us versus them. Yeah, what's the deal with your the name of your podcast? Sure. So uh, the podcast. So. Hmm, let's think. It started, I guess, almost a year ago, and at the time we actually had a different co-host, uh, and he and I were just kind of talking and trying to figure out a name. And we couldn't find one that we liked. And I said jokingly, like, what about theology doesn't suck? And then he was like, oh, no, I actually like that. And so really (laughs) the idea is that we want people to know that um, theology is important. Theology matters. um, And, you know, bad theology gets people killed um, quite literally. And, uh, you know, things like that. So we just we really want people to know that theology doesn't suck. Um, Yeah. So that I mean, that's kind of it. There's no like crazy like. Holy Spirit, you know, fell upon us and nothing like that. (laughs) Well, that's a that's a good, uh, I think, a good um, idea. Theology doesn't suck because, uh, yeah, and I think that I like that idea. Theology, bad theology, kills people because I do think we need to take it seriously. But unfortunately, theology's gotten so removed from the arena of the church Mm. that I fear that both are not doing a good job. So uh, anything to further your cause. I'm on board with. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much. We really, yeah, are just trying to, you know, I, I don't know if you looked through some of the, the previous guests we've had, but we have people from all over the spectrum come on. Uh, anybody that's willing to have conversation uh, just with the idea that we want to point people to Jesus, you know, um, regardless of where they are in their walk or their, their theological convictions. We've had super conservative, reformed people on, and we've had like um, pretty popular, like open theist kind of guys on. So, uh, but ultimately with the goal of pointing people to Christ and, yeah. uh, you know, with the message of cling to Jesus. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. So thank you for being a part of that. <laughs> yeah. Good to be here, guys. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, before we jump into your book, can you just give us a, a little bit of background information just uh, for the listeners, like who you are and what you do? Yeah. Um, well, uh, my, my name is David Fitch, and I uh, my most prominent title these days is as a, a B.R. Linder Chair of Evangelical Theology Northern Seminary. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an endowed chair, and I'm privileged to have you know this job of teaching at a seminary because you know, seminaries are there aren't that many left anymore uh training grounds for future pastors and leaders and christians change agents but also i am a pastor at peace of christ church which is a church plant of life on the vine church in the northwest suburbs where my wife and i planted i've planted seven churches well been part of planting seven churches in my lifetime and uh, I'm also a hockey coach at the YMCA, the only YMCA, by the way, that I know of in the country that has a USHL uh, hockey program. And so, and by the way, it's a lot cheaper and it's so much more fun and it's in an outdoor rink. So wow. check out your YMCA hockey program in Elmhurst. I'm a coach there in the Bantams this year. Nice. nice. I'm super jealous. <laughs> I'm thinking about joining a league here like a uh, uh, for people who suck league uh, in Frederick, which isn't too far from my house. <laughs> so. Josh, Josh also has the, the the enormous privilege of being the smallest person pretty much anywhere he goes. <laughs> um, so playing hockey probably would need to stop at about the YMCA level for Josh. Yeah, but but, but th- it's, it's okay because you'll have fun with it. And you'll, I mean, you might be like that Daniel Carcillo type that, <laughs> you know, kind of just roughs people up and gets under their skin, you know? Well, you know, you can be short or small in hockey. You just have to be fast. I have yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. I'll be like Johnny Gaudreau, Marty, if you know who that <laughs> there you is. Go. There you go, Marty. <laughs> just don't be like just don't be like Dustin Bufflin. I think that'd be pretty tough for you. Well, he yeah, yeah he's Mark- big buff for a reason. Yeah. I'm not not so much. <laughs> Sweet, awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, taking time to to hang out with us this morning, or actually now it's this afternoon, uh, and talk about a book that I personally think is super important. I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, I recommended it to all of my students and staff people and basically anybody, <laughs> but it's called The Church of Us Versus Them, Freedom from a Faith That Feeds on Making Enemies. Yeah. And so just to kind of to kick things off here, I, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Basically, like, uh, so you have this, you have this quote um, on page nine where you say, Christianity becomes a set of belief statements that we argue either for or against with other Christians and the actual practice of following Jesus becomes lost in the fray. And so I think that really stands out to me and almost kind of stands out as like the, like a main thrust behind your book. So like what, what issue, uh, what problem are you seeking to solve? You know, why did you feel you had to write this book? 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it almost goes without saying these days that we're in perilous times. We're living in a fractured world. Um, it's it's unbelievably violent, um, and uh, violent. I don't necessarily mean uh, killing people, but uh, killing people is happening as well. And it's a sign. It's a symbol. It's a an eruption of what's going on underneath. And so we have this incredibly fractured culture. Uh, that's fraught with and almost runs on antagonisms, and the church has gotten caught up in it. And I believe we've lost our witness because of this. We ourselves have become the church of us versus them. And we've distanced ourselves, not only from each other, but in the process, the, the, the world, the hurting, uh, broken, lost world that lives its life apart from God. And so we've lost our witness and ability to mission. So really so much depends on, can we start living the life we have in Christ, in his reconciling presence, first among ourselves, and then open up our lives to the space of people who are lost and bring that reconciling presence into the world as well. So this has got to be, for me, issue number one, for the church and leaders of the church and pastors of the church to deal with and lead their churches uh, well in. Yeah, absolutely. And you, um, like one thing that you point out uh, rather early on as well is this idea that um, we're not necessarily seeking to mediate between these two different sides, but rather we're looking to go to a place that is beyond enemies. Can you speak to that uh, briefly? Uh, You know, um, so, uh, I, I use the word antagonism mm-hmm. a lot, first couple of chapters. It's kind of a technical term like that's used or that I learned in the field of ideology. And what this taught me, this field of ideology, is how the world works apart from God, in autonomy from God. And so, an antagonism is when a conflict turns into an us versus them. Uh, when we have a conflict, we do a couple of things. I talk about enemy making. We mm-hmm. we look at our the people we disagree with as an enemy. We turn them into an object. They're no longer a person. They're something we're against. We depersonalize them uh, that uh, enemy, and we distance ourselves from them as enemy. And you can talk about, you know, Black Lives Matters or the sexuality debates, the immigration debates, the political debates, the socioeconomic ones. We always turn the other person into an object, the gay or lesbian person into an object. They're no longer a person, they're an object. And so we we distance ourselves from them and even define ourselves now over against them. We dig in. That's the uh, that's what an antagonism does. And we're kind of locked into this logic of are we going to win or not? And there's no space for for God to work and reshape. And you know, oh, in all of these debates, God wants to work, and he wants to work not only in that person that we are maybe disagreeing with, but in us too. And he wants to reshape us and save and heal and reconcile. But we get caught up in this antagonism and and this us against them. And that's the whole dynamic that I am trying to expose so that we, we can actually practice a different way, the way of Jesus 
the way of being his people, the way of opening space for his presence to work in and among us with other people we disagree with. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you talk, um, you talk a lot about this idea and you, you mentioned it, the, this thing you call the enemy-making machine. And you talk about uh, – use some different uh, – you know, like um, – oh, goodness. I, my brain just took a dump on me. <laughs> use like your, different – just took a hiatus. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> use way, different – only supposed to happen to us old people. <laughs> so now I feel so good that it happened to you. Yeah, that's right. good. We're in this together. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's I get stressed out from hanging out with Marty so much and so my brain, you know, tends to go. I think Marty's <laughs> always blaming it on you, eh? Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm just, trying to I'm the scapegoat all the time. Yeah. Oh, there's another word that's used. Yeah, we're we're I'm I'm demonstrating the enemy making machine in person. Uh, I, think it's, I, did that on, <laughs> I did that on purpose, by the way. <laughs> nice. So, so yeah, you, you uh, talk about this idea, the enemy-making machine, and you lay out some terms uh, yeah. and define them really well, things like uh, false signifiers and banners and things like that. Can you talk about some of that um, more technical uh, lingo jargon, if you will, uh, and, yeah. and that enemy-making machine, what that is and, and how we contribute to it? Yeah, I mean, uh, so enemy-making machine is my kind of popular metaphor lingo for the way ideology works mm-hmm. and there's, there's components in there and I'm giving, I'm trying to make these components accessible so that the average pastor, the average leader, and dare I say the, just a Christian who isn't studying theology can diagnose when these things are happening. And Jesus calls us into another way. So the first thing I'd say is a banner, which is, uh, when we extract a belief from actually discipleship, and discerning life together, and we turn it into a banner. Uh, 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 the te- all the technical stuff is in the footnotes, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to get, you know, if you want to research more, but master signifier is a key word or empty signifier in the world of ideology, and it means that the belief is extracted. It doesn't really mean any- we don't know what it means anymore, but it just comes to define what we believe over against those who don't believe like us. And so, uh, you know, I use I use the term premillennialism, and I describe how that became uh, a, a, a legitimate discernment in the 1920s, but turned into a signifier that we don't even know what it means anymore. We just know it defines us against them, and that's the so banners we have to look for, and we and when they start to lose any meaning in our lives, and they just define us. Uh, that's the point at which we need to once again submit to one another, start talking, go back to Scripture. What does this actually do and mean in our real lives? This goes for all, all uh, doctrines. I also, I also uh, talk about um, uh, uh, the – well, uh, Zizek, the famous ideologist, calls it perverse enjoyment, but uh, uh, I forget I forget what I call it. But basically there's this – there's this sense of, oh, yeah, I enjoyed this when the other side loses. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another bad sign that we have fallen into the enemy-making machine. And so, you know, I, I just urge us to, to read those uh, uh, that chapter and look for ways that we can overcome um, 
uh, the enemy making machine. You know, the enemy itself is is a we make uh, uh, ideologists call it the the object or the sublime object or that that thing that now we distance ourselves from and turn into an object. So, in in, in the German ideology of Nazi Germany, you know, the Jew was the person was the actually the Jew was what they blamed everything on, and it turned into a hideous ide- ideology. We don't know. We don't any longer have relationships with Jews. We just blame them for everything. And folks, this is the these are the things we need to diagnose mm-hmm. and understand in our everyday life, so that we don't fall into these patterns. And Jesus is always calling us out of this into presence. Into so instead of making enemies, he says, "Go to the person." Face to face, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Have a conversation. See if they will listen. That's an actual relationship. Mm. Instead instead of going into this us versus them dig in thing, he says, come together in my name and submit one to another. It's not about winning or losing. It's about uh, I will – whatever is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, so we're trying to break out of this frame. And, and see what God is doing. And th- this, is, this is the challenge, I think, of all churches, all Christians, uh, all our relationships, is to follow Jesus in open space for his reconciling presence to work in these divisions of our society. Mm. Yeah, Marty and I, literally, we had a, a conversation this morning about exactly that, the importance of sitting down with somebody and, and talking about an issue with them. Uh, because what you know, it's when you argue with somebody on Facebook, for example, uh, it's much easier to kind of hide behind a banner or to just attack uh, an idea. But then once you're sitting face to face with a person and you can hear their heart behind what they're saying, you can uh, kind of see their their the way they think, the logic, the structure of, of what they're saying. Um, but it also it, it just makes them human, <laughs> yeah. you know, and. Uh, yeah, we Marty and I were having a conversation about that this morning. Yeah, and I was actually just visiting uh, Navajo Nation in New Mexico, Arizona area, and um, I was I was down there with the youth pastor of my church, kind of doing some mission trip uh, exploration. You know, like what, what would it look like for our church to go there with the youth group and the men's group, and uh, some of the conversations we have with some people down there. Uh, you know, they they actually say the during the summertime, the Navajo people call it the white van season. Um, because every church comes down there in a white van <laughs> and, uh, they come once and they never come back again. And it's yeah. all, a, and, but, but they think we're going to come in with this like white savior mentality and fix all of your problems, go home and feel good about ourselves. And so, but a lot of it was, so instead of us going and talking to specific churches and trying to lobby our position to like, Oh, please let us come and do a mission trip with you. Uh, we actually spent a lot of our time just meeting with different Navajo people, uh, families and different people that were sort of kind of in charge of some different organizations around there and just getting to know them as people and hearing their story. And so like one of the first, I mean, one of the first questions I asked every one of them was tell me how you found Jesus. And, uh, I found that, uh, the majority of our meetings were spent around them sharing their testimony and get me getting to know them, me hearing who they were from like just an actual relationship perspective and we walked away from those meetings feeling like we gathered a lot more about like what the needs of the community are and like how our church could partner with people 
instead of coming in and be so like that idea of conversation and knowing people and understanding who they are at a genuine level. I just personally witnessed that directly and saw the fruits of that. So, yes, yes. And, and this, this applies to so many of the deepest, most entrenched issues yeah. of our time. And, and I, I will say, uh, uh, so the tendency of progressive Christians is to blame the uh, defensive conservative Christians. Mm-hmm. The conservatives blame the progressives, and I can tell you any like in the sexuality issues. I can tell you that whenever we've just gotten face to face, we are so surprised at actually the complexities and the unwinding of the antagonisms involved there that actually God can start to heal mm, sexuality. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I am ordained in the Christian Missionary Alliance. I sign a traditional sexuality statement. But the way it's almost like that's probably not the most important thing right now. The most important thing is let's open space for God to to listen to one another. So what's going on deep in the souls and the brokenness of sexuality in our day so that God can work and use us by the Holy Spirit to heal people's lives. And this is what the church is missing when it gets caught up in antagonisms, when it gets caught up in ideology, enemy-making machine, what God wants to do in people's lives on the ground. Yeah, and it, it's so crazy too because I think you're exactly right. What it does is it it dis- completely destroys the witness of the church um, because not only do people look at the church and see us uh, pointing fingers and you know talking down to people outside of the church, but also they look at us and they say, "Wow, the church can't even treat each other well. They can't even you know have conversations together. They keep wanting to call each other heretics and throw each other out of the faith yeah. all the time, and uh, you yeah. know things like that." are listening to the theology doesn't suck podcast. dude marty no that's people don't want to hear it that way man it has to be it has what? to be more enthusiastic like this do you love theology doesn't suck have you been listening to this show because you truly believe theology doesn't suck the, no dude what dude that's that's like that's it's so nerdy like people are like people don't think that's genuine man that sounds so weird it needs to be something like this it needs to be like you know, hey guys, like, I don't know if you realize, but we have a patron feed and it's, it's so awesome because like you get a lot of really cool stuff and you just like, you just have to give us some yeah, money. Yeah, but we can't just straight up be like, hey, yo, give us your money. Cause that's like, people don't want to do that either. It's disrespectful to our listeners. Uh, okay. Okay. So how about we do something like this? How about we do like, hey guys, it's Josh and Marty okay. from Theology Doesn't Suck podcast and you know here's the thing we love doing this podcast but you know as you probably know it takes a lot of effort and like we've got an awesome guy behind the scenes named matt who does like all of our awesome editing and all that stuff and you know it takes equipment and time and so like you know one of the things that we love about today's day and age is that there could be people out there that love our show so much that you just want to support us and so Josh, we started this awesome patron feed, and like, Josh, how, how can they find it? Like, what, what kind of stuff should they look oh, for? Well, yeah, and then we, we, well, we could tell them then, like, hey, go to patreon.com slash theology doesn't suck, and whereas for as little as $1 a month, right, you could become a patron, uh, and we have some different, you know, we could tell them about the different tiers, 
you know, where, where some tiers gives you access to a, a Facebook group specifically for patrons that allows you to do things like submit questions to be asked on episodes, uh, submit questions for bonus content, which, hey, bonus content is a part of another tier, some bonus episodes that are, you know, close to the public. So we could tell them those kind of things, right? Yeah. And, and one of the things we could do, which would be really cool, Josh, is like every once in a while, just because we're really good people, we could like send them stuff either digitally or like through actual mail. That's kind of cool. Like, you know, like I play in a band. So like, what if we come up with a CD and like we've got a CD and I just want to send it to oh, them yeah. or something, you know, like, you know, like that's another cool idea. So like, you know, Maybe that could be like some of the higher tiers. So like they would, you know, they would never know that something cool was coming. But then like, hey, surprise, this is coming to you. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. And like we could say like Christmas cards, cute stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that that'd be great. How about all right? Well, Uh, then how about we just tell people that and uh, yeah, hopefully they go to patreon.com slash theology doesn't suck and uh, join our, you know, theology doesn't suck community. Uh, Josh, I think I think this is a good way for us to do this. So, I think okay, let's record this and wait, dude. I've been recording this whole. Oh, time. Oh yeah, me too. Let, oh, all right, how about this? Let's just send this to Matt and uh, we'll just go with it. Yeah. All right. I mean, thanks, guys. We love you. Back to the show. And yeah. it's, it's just so crazy. Like we, another, um, hot button issue and maybe it's on my mind cause we had a conversation about it this morning. Uh, but like the whole thing about guns, um, yeah. if we could just sit down and have some honest conversations, I think that would be a lot more helpful. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. we talked about yeah. that with, uh, with Shane Claiborne this morning about his latest book. And, um, a lot of that was really eye opening for me, even to just, to, to sit with Shane and hear his heart uh, hear the things he had to say. I think, um, you know, it was just so helpful and it, it illustrates your, your point so perfectly. Right. Yeah, these, these are all opportunities for the gospel, but if we can't sit down and allow the antagonisms and all the anxiety and anger to f- kind of calm down, flitter yeah. away and open up space for God to work, we're never going to get anywhere. We're just going to be in this constant cycle of, of antagonism building. Yeah. Well, and, you know, as, as I was just talking about the Navajo people, uh, this is kind of on my heart because I was just there, but uh, we were talking with uh, someone that's a head of a missions organization down in Navajo Nation, and he said that the, the Navajo Nation government recognizes three religions. They recognize the Mormon church, they recognize um, sort of like, a, a, like the Navajo traditionalism, and then they recognize one other religion that is central more so to the, or it's the NAC, the Navajo uh, Christian Church, which or Navajo American Church. It's, it's 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 like a Christian church that they've kind of picked and chosen, but they don't sure. recognize Christianity as a church because they they literally see Christianity and they say none of you can agree with each other on anything, and so there's so many different versions of Christianity that it can't possibly be a true religion because none of it is actual. No one agrees on anything. Wow. And I, and I thought that's so incredible wow. because it, because that, that's such a wrong perspective. Cause I mean, if you ask a Catholic, they would know, they would agree that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. And so the, yes. the sort of the core aspects of our faith, whether you're Protestant or Catholic are all agreed upon, but the, it's, it's, it's crazy to me 
But in our day and age today, it's not the core aspects of our belief that speak the loudest, but instead it's the second tier and the third tier and the issues that don't have anything to do with salvation, so much to the point where, besides what the what the white Christian did to the Navajo people, which wasn't even a part of that discussion, but he just said, like, there are so many of those third and second tier issues that become so loud that literally that's what Christianity looks like to the outside world. They yeah. think that's what it means to be. They think arguing about abortion and arguing about guns and arguing about sexuality, they think that's what it means to be Christian. <laughs> and that's so, so tragic. I mean, I cannot believe that Jesus has literally been pushed down to like the fourth or fifth conversation piece when it comes to Christianity. And that is just, that's absurd to me. Uh, that, that is so uh, illustrative of the problem as I see it, which is we've lost our witness because we're arguing. And it's not, I don't know, I think conflict is really important uh, when you're in a mission. You're going you're gonna to engage in things you haven't really had to deal with before when you're in mission. You know, you're engaging people outside of uh, uh, Christian faith and in culture. So you're going to, Oh, you're going to, so there, there's things that, that we're engaging in our culture that my father never knew or had to engage in. Okay. So conflict and discernment is really important in these issues, but let's not turn it into antagonism. Let's let each conflict be the space where what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. And what is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Really the, the, the those are the keys of the kingdom there. Uh, conflict takes us forward, but we become known for our antagonism. Christianity yeah. and how we hate one another. Right. So what we need is a new kind of leader, if I can put it that way, or an old kind of leader, the kind yeah. of leader from the first days of Christianity who can lead differently and open up space for God to work in all of these areas. And the church's witness shall be renewed by the Holy Spirit, I believe. Yeah, I, was actually a, I was actually a part of a church, my first full-time ministry church, and they, it was a reformed church, and it was a I, I don't it was an RCA church, and then there was a CRC church in the town, and literally the only difference between the two was they couldn't agree a hundred years ago about how to administer communion, and so they split and they went their separate ways. But all of them have literally the exact same doctrine, the exact same everything except for the administration of communion. And that was the only thing. And then up till this day still, they don't agree and they're totally separate from each other. And it just, I, I, I thought that was incredibly surprising. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, that's all too uh, common in uh, many different parts <laughs> of our Christian church these days. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you lay out uh, what I thought were three really um, – good examples of issues that uh, feed into the enemy-making machine and contribute to this issue amongst Christians uh, in the church. And um, the three that you laid out were this, this question of, are you biblical? Have you made a decision? And let's make America Christian again. And so um, I kind of wanted to, to chat with you uh, briefly about, um, about those. Uh, so the first one is, is this idea of the Bible. The Bible has become a a point of so much division uh, within the church. It's not even funny. This thing that's supposed to bring unity to us instead has become a banner uh, and a question we ask, are you biblical? Yeah. Yeah, I tried to lay out there. I mean, okay, so I'm, uh, it's harder and harder to say this 
uh, these days, uh, but I consider myself an evangelical. I consider myself one who believes mm-hmm. in the high view of the authority of Scripture. But unfortunately, folks, uh, uh, we have used Scripture as like a blunt instrument to win arguments, or we have we've we've used it to uh, you know say ah this is biblical without actually doing the work. Uh, the work of being in a community, discerning what the Bible might mean in this particular case. And so I'm arguing for a, a way of of reading the Bible together. I'm putting that forth as a new practice of mutually discerning what the Bible is saying. Now, that doesn't mean the teaching office is not important anymore. It just means the teaching office leads conversations, especially in the difficult issues we're facing. Not by using the Bible as uh, a clobber passages uh, uh, kind of thing, but as the means by which Jesus, by his spirit, is going to lead us into all truth. The, the other two are like a decision for so often we have, especially in my tradition, said salvation looks like this in one way. Have you made this decision? Have you done it this way? And uh, too often that's become the means by which we separate ourselves from other people, instead of seeing that we are the called out ones, called into the family of God to to bring the rest of the world with us and invite them into the same salvation. And so I'm just I'm just pushing there, asking us: Can we think about salvation in in not an us versus them way, but in this grand thing that God is doing? to call the world to himself that we are all participating in, uh, you know, and, and we come, we do come to Jesus uh, in different ways. We, we don't all sign the back of a, of a pamphlet, or we don't all walk, <laughs> walk forward to just as I am. Can you guys relate to what I'm saying? There are Absolutely. many ways. I see people get saved without ever making a decision and the time when I knew it happened was this person started taking the Eucharist or the Lord's table as we call it in Protestantism. And I go, what? She received the Lord's table and she entered into full fellowship. And 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 I'm sorry, it didn't look like the four spiritual laws. So anyways, you relate can you two guys relate to what I'm saying here? Yeah, yes. oh, absolutely. <laughs> to to a very large and great extent. Josh <laughs> um, and I both work at a church where um, the sole purpose of discipleship and the sole purpose of spiritual growth, the only way that it was done was through what they call the connection card that everybody was urged to fill out throughout the entire service at multiple times. There were steps to take in your faith on the back of the connection card. Um, there was a box, literally a box you could check that was, accept, I, today I accept Jesus. But it was worded funny. They would It would say, tell me more about accepting Jesus. But then anyone that checked that box was considered someone that accepted Christ today. <laughs> yep. And that they were followed up on as if they had accepted Jesus. And I would say 99% of those people were not legitimate they were just checking a box, you know, literally because they wanted information, but they were counted as people that had begun to follow Christ. So Josh and I would often, when he and I worked together, we would often lament like over coffee or something like, <laughs> I wonder how many of the people, how many of the thousands of people they like to quote and say have accepted Jesus actually knew what they were doing and today still are living rich 
discipled and mentoring type, you know, Paul Timothy lives That's, where yeah. they're working in other people's lives and others are working on them. How many of them are like that? And the unfortunate thing for us is even some of the people that we knew that had checked that box, we actually didn't know if that was true. Yeah. Yeah. And even the people that had been going there since the beginning, those people who, oh yeah, I checked the box one time on my connection card and you know, and then from that point forward, I just I've lived the greatest life. Okay, well, that's not what <laughs> that's not what it looks like to walk with Christ. I mean, it's it's yeah. not always the greatest life. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it was just crazy because what ended what we see ended up you know end up happening, and you touch on this is just this idea that Jesus is just Savior, and then discipleship or Jesus is Lord is like an add on for like special Christians or something. And so yeah. salvation just becomes this thing that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, at our church this year, we had 150 people, you know, come to Christ, which I'm not bashing that idea because if 150 people really did come to Christ, even if one person came to Christ, that is something to be, you know, celebrated and cheered on. Um, but when it just becomes this, this false, empty thing, it's not helpful. And I think you do a really nice job talking about it kind of as like, um, as marriage, like the gospel, you say the gospel requires a response more akin to a marriage vow than a vote in an election. And that marriage requires faithfulness over time because we don't know the enormity of what God has called us to. Mm. Um, and that's just such, that's such a, a more beautiful way to, you know, to put things, this, this idea of salvation, something that we get to live into here and now, not just, you know, Jesus is the, you know, guy that has the fire insurance policy or, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I just think, uh, I think we're in, uh, you know, I think the whole, uh, four spiritual laws, Romans road, even evangelism explosion might have worked well in a culture where everybody knew the language, the stories, the, and, and they just needed to be invited into a more personal uh, encounter with the living Christ. I, I, but but today it's just oh my goodness, it's so different. And mm-hmm. I think I use, uh, you know, I use the. Uh, I grew up in Canada where you know you learned French yeah. on the of a of a of a cereal box every morning. I got up to have cereal before I went to school, and everything was in English and French. And it was a good it was a good entry point into the world of French, but. Unfortunately, I my my grade three teacher was a an old lady who just just hit the ruler repete repete and I never got schooled really discipled well into the whole world of French. So even to this day, after what twelve years of French, I'm I'm pretty bad at it. But the <laughs> point you you start where people are at, mm-hmm. and you use that entry point to lead them to the whole world of Jesus as Lord of the universe. And if we just have one entry point, this this entry point that worked 50 years ago when everybody was basically at the same point in their life, uh, we'll never have a powerful impact for calling people and inviting them into uh, the life uh, uh, of the kingdom where Jesus is Lord. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that man, it's that's such a big thing. Like I, I've actually been really hung up on that a lot recently, and. Um, you know, we're we're doing a, a fall mission trip here shortly. Uh, not a mission trip, sorry, a fall retreat, rather, uh, with my students. And the theme is going to be um, this idea of, of discipleship, basically. I'm not calling it that. It's, it's going to be called BTW, by the way. Um, and it is exactly right. It's going to be based off of his book, yes. 
And because uh, he does such a nice job of, of laying it out there, too. And I, I really want the students to 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 see that um, idea of discipleship and salvation uh, kind of you use this term like participating in, in God's reign. Um, yeah. And I really I want to put that out there for students, because I think uh, what I see, at least, is that the the stuff that used to work, kind of like you were talking about, doesn't speak to students or people my age anymore. It just doesn't. They want to be a part of something bigger and like we're afraid to give it to them. But like Jesus is like, no, come and follow me. <laughs> you know, like why? Why are we so afraid uh, to give that to, to the students? And so that's that's the thing that's uh, I'm quite passionate about. I try to I when I teach at Northern Seminary, I try to help people understand that in Christendom, we had a certain set of social dynamics and uh, certain things worked. Maybe you needed a system. Uh, you know, back in uh, you weren't alive. Uh, either one of you were alive in the fifties or sixties, probably. But no, but the world ninety percent of the church in Canada went to ninety percent of the country in Canada went to church more so than the United States. I think we got up to like eighty five percent here, um, and and there was just a general cultural understanding that Jesus is God, that there's something going on here that we all need God, and so and so what happens in Christendom is we try to package everything and get things done. And frankly, it works when everybody's got the social, moral, Christian capital to work with. But we are not there anymore in North America. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we need to be engaged relationally, opening up space for the, It's a whole different ball game. I'm sorry. You know, my, my mother would not understand, but look, mom, uh, it ain't like it was in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> And so we need to be missionaries again. The missionaries go and inhabit and listen and speak the gospel only after listened and allow on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to do his work. Yeah, you know, I've I've never personally been like you're just talking about mission. And again, that's a part of my role here at church. But I've never been on a mission trip where it's acceptable to just go in and do work and not have relationship with the people you're working alongside of. I mean, I've, I've just never seen that be a successful route towards, you know, being like being, being, having a missional mindset. Um, you always walk away from that kind of feeling like, Hey, like we did a really great thing, but, uh, I mean, all the trips that I've been on have incorporated some aspect of relationship building, uh, uh, some aspect of getting to know. I mean, the last one I was on in Mexico, uh, literally we spent, uh, an entire evening at a missionary's home, but spread up, spread out into different groups. So it was like all these different people. Like yeah. we were, I, I would be a part of, you know, me and this other guy, we went to this couple's home, this family's home, and we were there. So it was really late at night, just knowing them and getting to know their story. I mean, no, no, uh, you know, quote unquote, American or Western, you know, mindset of like work getting done was accomplished. Yeah. yeah. But, the bigger part was that I really truly believe that the kingdom of God was present because we were getting to know each other in a way that was establishing something later, you know, and what God wanted to do through that relationship. Now we can start to build that, but but before building what God wants to do in that way and knowing each other, everything is just very superficial. Everything is just very much like, you know, I have something to give you. It's transactional. Yeah. And salvation has oftentimes been, it's become transactional today. It's become Jesus has something for you, take it and receive it. And then that's good for you. Now you're set. And that's not at all 
what it was ever intended to be. Well, that, those are the old habits that we got into in Christendom, and uh, <laughs> our, it's it's just not. Uh, it's just you know, Luke chapter ten, Jesus sends the seventy-two out, and he says, "Look, oh, and 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 eat." And spend time around a table. Go without your purse, without power. Go, go as sheep among wolves. Go vulnerable, and go yeah. sit and remain there and listen, and then proclaim the gospel. And so, why don't we do what you just described in our churches in North America? Why don't we send people to be present in the various places where people are hurt and broken, yeah. and well, and listen and see God is at work, and then say, "Hey, did you see what I just saw?" That's Jesus calling you to himself. Are you interested? Hmm. Would you like to make him Lord over this issue in your life? I can I can maybe tell you how that happened in my life. And we can have an outbreak of the gospel and evangelism, but not, hmm. not by doing what we do now, which is argue over various things, <laughs> trying arguments. Yeah, I, I don't understand why it's why that's been such a like why that is such a radical idea. <laughs> that, well, that should not be because because Marty, here's the thing. Uh, I need to change my tone because I was about to sound very condescending um, <laughs> and dismissive, I, which is not helpful. The the a genuine concern that people have, and like you touch on this on your book, and I, I really appreciated what you had to say around these things. Is like they're like, oh well, you. That's not the gospel. That's the social gospel, and like that, this idea of social gospel, I think, becomes another banner or another thing for people to attack, and they yeah. get afraid of like, oh, well, if you do those things, that's not the real gospel. You're not a real Christian, and like that's a genuine concern uh, that people have. Yes, and there's a long history of uh, what what has gone on in in relation to the personal aspects of the gospel versus the social aspects of the gospel and why all those fights broke out. But now is the time to leave all that behind, open yeah. space, because God wants to heal and restore all things, including you as a human being and your relationship to God, as well as all your relationships to other human beings and what he's doing in the world. This is inseparable. It's the same. It's together. It could start personal. It could start social. I talk about racism mm -hmm. and opening up space mm -hmm. in my town to deal with the issues of racism, but I never see it as separate from that what God wants to do is save every human being from their sin. Mm. As It's all one as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, too, we did, a, we did an episode with Bruxy Cavey a while ago, and he kind of said the same thing, that like we, we draw these unnecessary lines in the sand and we, we try to separate these things when they're meant to be kept uh, together. Yes, Bruxy is an Anabaptist. He is. Shane Clayborn sometimes is an Anabaptist. <laughs> I'm an Anabaptist. I think maybe you all are becoming, or maybe you already are, Anabaptists. Yes, so. so hey, hey, let's not label ourselves here. Right. People. There's, a, there's a theme going on here, right? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. It's really funny because I, I like to use, uh, you know, if people ask me like to nail myself down, I normally say, Anabaptist, but then Bruxy corrected me. He said, "Well, maybe you're just Anabaptish," and so, <laughs> so you know, not quite there. But I think uh, I, it definitely resonates with me uh, for sure. Um, but uh, real quick, there's there's one other thing that you hit on that I think is is um, super important, and actually, it kind of we've had this similar theme kind of running through uh, some of our more recent episodes. But you hit on this this idea of let's make America Christian again, and how divisive. Uh, that has become. 
<laughs> and looking at creating the church as a space beyond enemies and use this phrase like the local church is my politics. And so I, I found that interesting. Can you just share about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, uh, I don't, I don't know how to do this quick, but uh, <laughs> well, take your time. Uh, I think, I think that, uh, I think Jesus is interested in uh, saving the world. Mm. Uh, and within that, maybe he wants to save America too. Yeah. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it through nation politics. And so uh, this is there's a long history of theology here that goes right back to Romans 13 and other things that kind of says, okay, government can do a few things for us. Government might be able to preserve society. Those are Luther's terms. But government cannot save or redeem society. This has to be the work of the church locally, that God wants to shape our our places, our neighborhoods into redeemed places where actually schools will work. People will be able to go to school, but he wants to work in the school. But sometimes, by the way, schools get so overridden by powers and principalities, we have to leave the school and start our own schools. But all these discernments need to happen locally. And it's from local uh, politics, if I can put it that way. God working in the lives of people in neighborhoods and school systems and village halls. And uh, that's where the real work shall begin. And I go, and then maybe, just maybe, our country will uh, get called into accountability and become a better place a more Christian place. But to start with nation politics, nation state politics is a big mistake because nation states operate on coercion. And by the way, coercion, you know, police force, all that. Maybe we need these things to preserve society, to keep us from bad things happening, but it can't save society. So I emphasize the church has to become a locally engaged, incarnational political force for the kingdom. And uh, that's kind of the idea. The local church is my politics. I'll go, I'll go ahead and vote, but I'm not going to expect too much. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that language of, of incarnational. And, um, I've been really, you know, just me personal in my own personal studies and, and quiet time, stuff like that, whatever you want to call it. I've really been, been diving deep into the, the idea of the incarnation and just how radical, the incarnation, uh, you know, God becoming man really is. And then the, the call for, for us to, to, you know, go out and, um, you know, doing incarnational ministry is just, uh, it's so beautiful. And I think um, something, and uh, hopefully this person's name isn't, isn't a bad name, uh, but there's a, a guy um, who, I've, who I've read named Richard Rohr, uh, who to some people, that's scary, um, and that's fine. <laughs> But uh, Richard Rohr says that that and he sees this happening. But I think it's so important too, and, and I think you might agree, is that we need to move from this transactional religion to transformational religion. And the way to do that is through incarnational ministry, through people like you're saying, um, working together, being intentional, sitting down with each other, recognizing our humanity, and and working together to build the kingdom of God. You know, here on earth. Um, as in heaven. And I think that has to be the way forward. Yeah. I mean, uh, incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation says that God came into the world as an, as a human being to go live in among people. Hmm. And that human being, Jesus Christ did not try to bring down the Roman government. In fact, he, 
He resisted that and he rejected that option. Instead, we are going to go be among people and a renewal of people's lives will shake the government. In Acts chapter, oh, no, I can't remember the chapter, but Luke calls the church, uh, somebody accuses the church of Paul and his his band of believers of turning the world upside down. And, and that's didn't happen by going straight to the halls of Roman government and getting out some swords and starting a fight. It actually happened on the ground with real people, real social movements. And this is the way big changes always happen. Mm-hmm. Abolitionists started on the ground. Uh, they didn't start through the government. Actually, the government would have said, no way. We got too much <laughs> The, yeah. the, the transformation of women and suffrage and women's rights happen on the ground. The men in power would have never start, allowed that. Sociopolitical uh, movements that deal with poverty, the Salvation Army, all the holiness movements happen on the ground. And then the government responded in its conscience. This is the way the civil rights movement happened on the ground. Can the church get busy responding to what God is doing on the ground and, 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 and starting these great social movements? And people, hear me, people, people shall be saved. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's it's so good. Um, and just, you know, to as our, our we want to be faithful uh, to your time and, and respectful of the time that you have given us. So just um, to help us do that, is there is there anything that we haven't touched on um, or that we didn't talk about? Because obviously we don't want to give away your whole book because we want people to go out and read it and buy it and, yes. and support. Um, and we'll, we'll actually, we'll be sure to put a link to it in, in, in the show notes. Um, but is there any like big thing that, that you really think is super important um, that people need to hear? Well, I just, I just, oh, at the end of the book, I talk about John chapter eight mm-hmm. and I talk about Jesus uh, being you know pulled into an antagonism. The Pharisees are putting an adulterous you know, uh, out in front of everybody, making her an object, right? Uh, and, and they're saying, should we stone her according to the law? And the law is becoming ideology at this point, not something we use to discern our everyday lives. It's an ideology. Are we going to stone her or not? And you can see almost the anger and the perverse enjoyment of getting out of that we're going to stone her, make her ourselves feel better. And this is how the ideology works. And Jesus just refuses to enter in on the world's terms. And then he he, he he reveals the contradiction. He says something like, all right, you guys, you who are perfect, hurl the first stone. And he reveals the contradiction in what's going on. And the slowly they all walk away. And the antagonism flitters into nothingness. And he says to the adulterous uh, woman, where are your accusers? And, she, and, and they're gone. And now space has been cleared for Jesus to be present to this woman and say you're forgiven and you're loved. And now go and sin no more. Work out your salvation. And I think that's – at the end of the book, I give a few like five tips on how to do that as a church, both as the church and the church in the world. And this is the kind of thing we need to be doing to be entering into the world and opening space for – for Christ to bring his reconciling presence and healing and restoration and salvation to the world. And I just encourage everybody listening, this is this is where we got to go for such a time as this. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, again, thank you for your time and, and listeners for sure. Go pick up this book, The Church of Us Versus Them. You will not be disappointed. Uh, I know I couldn't put it down. I was like reading it in between sessions at a uh, – 
at a retreat that we took our students to at the Move Conference, if you're familiar. And um, I, I was talking, you know, talking to them about it during uh, during the conference, and I was sharing with. Um, you know, we had kind of like a student leader. Uh, he's a college student uh, that was in the dorm with me, and we we're having a really great conversation uh, around this. And like I said, at, you know, at the offset of things, I think this book is extremely timely. I think it's important. Um, I think the the message that you are trying to get out there is uh, is crucial. I mean, um, the church needs to to chill out <laughs> and come together and and stop giving in to this enemy making machine uh, because. You know, Jesus is too important. The body of Christ is too important. The mission of the church is too important. The kingdom of God is too important uh, for us to continuously be divided and hateful towards one another. Um, yeah. And also, it's it's such a disservice to the people around us that don't know Christ. Yes, uh, because I don't want to be I don't want to be the the stone or whatever that trips people up from uh, from finding Jesus. I don't want to have to deal with that. <laughs> I don't want to have to face that kind of judgment. Um, you know, so thank you for for um, giving us proposing another way forward, giving us a way to to you know bring more light and um, love and uh, community into the world, uh, especially in a time that is so uh, divisive and, and evil as now. So thank you. Yeah. My pleasure, guys. Blessings on your ministry, uh, both in your churches and this podcast. And I hope we meet along the way sometime. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Can I just ask you one oh. question? One, one <laughs> final question. Um, have you ever been in a movie before? <laughs> no, I have not. But uh, are you going to say I remind you of Jack Nicholson? I was exactly going to say Jack Nicholson. <laughs> no way. That's so funny. <laughs> not only in voice, but also in picture. As I kind of look at you and I hear you speak, it's kind of, it's, there's a bit, there's times where it's not, but there's times where it's just uncanny how close it is. Happens so, all the time. Yeah, you really? got that. Obviously. Do you, do you wear that as like a badge of honor or is that like not cool? What do you think? I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not like Jack Nicholson in, in real life. So anyways, that's all. <laughs> no. I'm, glad, I'm glad I was astute enough to notice the, that what other people have already noticed before. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great to be with you. See you along the way. Bye-bye yeah, now. peace and blessings. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much uh, for having a listen. Again, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Theology Doesn't Suck. Uh, as we mentioned uh, previously, we just recently took down our website and actually la- launched a Patreon feed um, for those of you who would like to support the podcast in a way uh, that might be financial. And so for as little as like a dollar a month, uh, you can help support us, uh, you know, make us better uh, and, and help, you know, join the community to, to bring the hope of Christ, uh, hopefully to more people. And so go check that out. Patreon.com slash theology doesn't suck. And as always, just for Marty, go Caps. Go Blackhawks. <laughs>